What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. That's right. We have our first official sponsor. I've entered into a strategic partnership with TrueFan, and I put out an episode yesterday breaking down the whole deal, letting you know what's happening, what's changing, everything. So if you want a little bit more on that, I highly recommend you go back and check that out. Before we get into today's conversation with Elliot Robinson, there's a couple things that we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews you get, the more it helps new people find the show, and it really helps to grow the community we're developing here. And if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. I put out brand new interviews every single Monday and takeaways episodes every single Thursday where I sit down and break down the most recent podcast of the week in a solo episode. And last but not least, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it to your Instagram story. Tag myself at the Jacob Kelly and Elliot at Elliot. That's with one L and one T. And I'll feature you on my story and send you a message as well. And now without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Elliot Robinson. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today we're joined by Elliot Robinson. And Elliot is referred to as the social media MacGyver. He's the founder of Dunk, a basketball media company with over 10 million followers across social media. He's the former head of growth and strategy on Team Gary V, growing Gary's account from 600,000 to over 2 million. Now he does consulting for clients and is responsible for the emergence and growth of Dennis Rodman on social media. He's one of the best people on the planet when it comes to social. And I'm very excited to have him here on the podcast today. Elliot, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the kind introduction. It's my pleasure, man. Where I want to start today's podcast, I was wondering if you could show me. Show you what? <laughs> show me. Show you how it's done? Yeah. Is this a MacGyver quote? Because I, I don't know who MacGyver is. No, this is, this is a question Dennis Rodman used to ask you randomly. Oh. <laughs> Damn, you did your research. Yeah, show me how life is done. Um, I, I think the answer is, dude, you did great research. I, I don't know if, yeah, that's a question that he used to ask me. And I used to always like, I don't know, you kind of get nervous when you get get that question. Because even when you asked it, I, I, I got on my toes. of like, show you what, what is it that you want me to show you? But I guess it's life and I, I don't have the answer. So I'm sorry, you got to show yourself. <laughs> that's fair. But I want to, I actually want to start. I just remember hearing you mention that, that, that you used to ask that question. So I want to start the podcast with that. But where I want to start is... I want to go back to the beginning, right? Because obviously you're really narrative- scared me. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, is that a MacGyver quote? Because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. But so with your narrative, like it's so heavily tied to basketball. So I'm curious when basketball entered your life. Because I know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but your grandpa Ed Robinson played basketball at Yale. Like, was that an influencing factor in you starting to play ball? I think for sure. I mean, he probably influenced my father and inspired my father a lot i started playing when i was um six or seven years old uh i just think my 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 mom or my dad i don't remember who it was but they dragged me to a practice and they were like you're gonna you're gonna play basketball i was like yeah i'm gonna do it and my grandpa obviously yeah he played at yale he he was one of the best rebounders they've ever had he averaged I think like 15 rebounds or something in a season, 16 rebounds. He scored 60 points in high school. 
and it kind of took him out of the the hood. He he grew up in Lynn, Massachusetts, which was the hood, like the deep hood. And he'd never really played as what you actually think about is crazy. Like someone pointing at him in the streets, like you'd be a good basketball player, putting him on the path, and him having like Fulbright scholarships from Yale, uh, Princeton, uh, Stanford, like all these things. Uh, yeah, to answer your question, <laughs> I uh, I started playing basketball when I was five to six years old, and I think my grandpa influenced it tremendously through through my dad. Mm-hmm. And I know it hooked you right away, and like basketball, like I said, has been a part of your life for forever. I know you wore number eight because Kobe Bryant dropped 81 the day before you started playing, and I was curious if you could tell the listeners the story as to how you ended up with a Harry Potter book signed by Larry Bird. Um. So, yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I wore number eight due to Kobe, which I, I only recently, uh, when he passed away, is really when it dawned upon me. I was like, he had such an influence on, on everyone's lives. I don't know. It was, it was a very sad moment when, when he passed. So I wanted to rest in peace to Kobe. But I, uh, I ended up with the Larry Bird. This is a weird transition, but fuck it. I'm sorry. I, I, I ended up with a, a signed Larry Bird book. Because my dad's from Boston, or my grandpa's from Boston, so I'm half Bostonian, is that what it's called? Half, so. uh, half Swedish. Um, and I played basketball, grew up in Sweden, and when I was, when I was 10 years old, maybe 11 years old, there's a Swedish national team game. My dad was like, let's go to it, it'll be a fun time watching basketball. It's not NBA level, but <laughs> it's, it's at least above where you're at. We went to the game, and being from Boston, obviously, he, he grew up with Larry Bird. He's probably one of the best shooting forwards of all time. And I don't know, he just saw Larry Bird like six bleachers down. And when you think about it, it's kind of weird because we didn't have the best seats. <laughs> like, we weren't courtside or anything. We we're pretty far up. And he saw Larry Bird, and he was like, that's one of the best Boston Celtic players of all time shout his name i'm sure he just said shout his name because everyone was trying to go up to him and and larry isn't a very social person for anyone who does research he's he's very shy he does very few media appearances like i don't think he likes to talk to people a lot i think he's like just an introverted person um so the people that were coming up to him i don't think he wanted to talk to any of them but for some reason when i shouted larry bird larry bird and he 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 looked around and, I, and he saw my dad, maybe he recognized that he was from Boston or something. And he was like, come on down. And yeah, the only thing I had for him to sign was a Harry Potter book. So I, uh, I walked down and I was like, do you want to sign my Harry Potter book? And he was like, sure, you got a pen? My dad has, he's scrambling for a pen. And yeah, that's, that's one of the, it's probably the only NBA autograph that I have other than Vince Carter. It's the only NBA autograph that I've gotten from a person. So. Yeah, I stick to this story and I stick to the fact that Larry Bird is one of the best shooting small fours of all time, if not the best. And you mentioned that like the ball you guys were watching that day wasn't as good as the NBA, obviously. And I'm curious for you, was there ever a thought to play pro ball even in Sweden? Like I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, your friend Gustav Hansen plays pro ball for Jamplan. Like was that ever something you considered? Um, shout out to Gustav. He just got a new contract, I'm sure, I think. Um, I was never as good as them growing up, and I think it was due to my confidence on the court because playing basketball now is kind of when you've matured a little bit. 
you feel a difference on the court. I, I always, it was never in my mind play pro ball, but looking back at it, I think I could have, I think I could have gone pro. Like, I think it wasn't the path that God wanted me to take, obviously. So it didn't happen. And that means I, I probably couldn't have played, but looking back at it now, there's always, yeah, I think with some, some more dedication and some more confidence more than anything, it's confidence in yourself on the court and like believing your, in your abilities and just like not always being so anxiety ridden, like having to accomplish things on the court. That was always like proving things. It was always like you had to prove things. Now when you step on the court, not even playing for fun, but playing competitively, like, uh, in the U.S., I've played against some pretty good people, and I don't want to jerk myself off here, but I stand my ground, you know. it's. I think I could have played pro, not in the NBA, certainly not in the NBA, but somewhere in Europe. And is that the life that I want? I don't know. But to answer your question, yes, with confidence. And I think that's the lesson for anyone who's listening. It's like you don't have to prove it to anyone just like, take a deep breath and believe in yourself. And that sounds corny as hell, but it's really helped me after. And I think, I think, Jacob, I think it comes naturally after a while. Like you mature. I don't even know if you could force that at such a young age. Like, I think it just comes with time. No, I agree. And that's actually interesting because I played basketball growing up as well. And I've actually had a similar thought where it was the confidence I lacked on the court. Now I'm not saying I could have gone professional at any level. I don't even think I could have played at the college level here in Canada, but I just noticed that's one thing I even noticed about myself personally was just a lack of confidence, especially around shooting. Like I could dribble, I could pass, but I never shot the ball as much as I probably could have just because I was afraid and lacked the confidence to do so. It's interesting that you had a similar, a similar takeaway kind of looking back. Exactly. And you put so much emphasis on each shot or on each situation. It's like, it doesn't really matter that much. Put your best effort into it, but, don't stress the outcome so much because if you do it it just makes you perform worse you see what i'm saying if you Mm -hmm. put too much pressure on yourself it makes you perform worse as opposed to just letting go and doing your best but once again it's always easier said than done this is true but i kind of wanted to transition a little bit away from basketball for a second i kind of wanted to start there to set the sea on the impact basketball had kind of in your life growing up but i was curious about what significance does a song cranked out by Soldier Boy have to you? Immense, immense, <laughs> immense significance. It was my first, um, my second, I would say, hip hop song that flung me into video editing. It um, actually wasn't even video editing. I think it was social media, once you say it like that. Me and my cousin, Michaela, and I assume you know the story because you've done your research. Me and my cousin, Michaela Robinson, found that song and we're just dancing to it in Marblehead where where, where, where my dad's from and my family's from and everyone was doing that song and for Soldier Boy is I have to give him props he was one of the best marketers of all time like that was that was such a wave the Soldier Boy cranked that Superman watch me you that was such a dance like he was doing TikTok before TikTok was TikTok you see what I'm saying like he was doing that dance and everyone was on that wave so we were like let us just do the dance let's film record it and just throw it up on vimeo and see what happens i don't think anyone saw it i think we had like two views and it was me and her and we might have heard a third that might have been my dad we, if we were lucky we had five and that was my aunt and my grandfather but it was like 
we dressed up in this I had this big hoodie and this big cap and yeah, that was that was those good times when you just did things when you're younger. It had immense it had immense I think that might have like spiraled me into marketing as well. Like Soldier Boy really rubbed off on me. Mm-hmm. Pause. <laughs> That was like, that was, the, that was your first kind of entry point to the world of marketing and social media. And I believe kind of your second, the second next progression for you was the greatest video game of all time, Modern Warfare 2. You would have started yeah. recording and putting out videos around that game, right? Yeah, correct. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I was, ne- yeah, I did. I, my first video editor ever was a Modern Warfare 3. Uh, but my favorite game of all time was Modern Warfare 2. And that's what, yeah, I would record shit on. I played on the computer, so I would record stuff on Fraps and then put it into Vegas Pro, which is a video editing software, and then just upload it to YouTube. Fair enough. Um, but now I do want to kind of touch on Instagram because I know you started Dunk was September 2013, I believe. But before that, you had your first Instagram account, and that was you were posting like sunsets with heavy edits, right? Like, what was like what was the intention behind starting that Instagram? Uh, that's what I was going for. It's the intention that Instagram was called. Uh, Elliot Robinson one now mm-hmm. called RBN. If anyone wants to check it out, the intention with it was just to. There was no intention, and I think that was the beauty of it. The intention was I started a social media page. I was with my friend Gabriel, and we're going. Uh, I think we're just longboarding one day, and we're like, ah, I'm going to start a page, and I was just taking pictures, and then I guess. I enjoyed taking pictures and then I started editing and the beauty of the page was that there was no intention. There was sunsets and I wanted to take pictures of sunsets. So I did it. And like, that's, that's how all the greatest things I think in life, in my life has started when it's not forced and when it just kind of comes and you just do without overthinking. And I think that's one of the traps that once you grow up, you start overthinking and overanalyzing everything. And that's something that I've been feeling lately. It's like, there's no need to because that gut and that innocence that you have as youth and when you have supreme confidence is what what brings you the best. And like you mix that with trust. And that's like a trust in the universe. But back then you don't even think that way. You just go with whatever your, your gut and instinct tells you. And then ego kind of comes in and takes away from that. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going, but there was no intention with account Jacob. And I think that's why it was so beautiful. The intention was just take pictures of sunsets and it created some form of routine every day. And like some form of, um, I don't know, some form of, uh, it's created some form of joy by just a new passion, right? A new passion and pushing yourself in, in ways that you hadn't before. It was really early on. It was like when the iPhone had just come out, it was like an iPhone 4 people were just starting to mess around with these lenses so what you would do is actually i don't think i've told this before and i don't know if anyone will care but i'm gonna tell it anyways because this is a podcast and it's about people talking about themselves um you put a um a lens on the back of the camera and it would do like a wide like a fish angle it was a wide lens and people just started messing around with that so i don't know it was just a time of exploration in the young person's life, taking pictures and sunsets. That was the intention behind the account. Long, long story long. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's just interesting. I'm always curious about like, especially back then when it had been like probably around 2011 when he was started that account. Like I did the deep scroll 
it's kind of cool to see like almost like the progression of way back where you were at that point. Like, I think you were in some engagement groups at that point. I remember there's a post deep down there of you hitting the 100 follower mark, which is crazy. To look <laughs> on. Like now, like I said, in the intro 10 million followers across social media and you were like excited to hit the 100 follower mark. So it's just kind of cool. And I think to your point, it's almost like the just without having an intention and almost a sense of naivete is just not a bad thing. It's like how all good things start when you're just kind of doing it for fun. And is that then the reason that you started at the time at Nasty Dunks? Was that just for fun? Like what led from at Elliot Robinson one to Nasty Dunks? Uh, yeah, you formulated it. Yeah, the naivete. That's, that's a good thing. It's so beautiful too because there's like no, you don't, you don't force yourself towards anything. You don't feel forced to do anything. You you just do it out of pure joy. Yeah, you you formulated that greatly. Um, nasty dunks. What made me start nasty dunks? I'd been off of Instagram for a while. I think I'd lost touch. I just wanted to do something, and I remember having having gotten tired of those sunset pictures. I was like, "Fuck it, I can't take another picture of the sunset." <laughs> like, like uh, you know, like it maybe ego had overtaken, or you know, sometimes you just outgrow things. So I'd stop that. Um, and I don't know. I just wanted a new, like you said, that was a transition in between taking pictures of sunsets and starting high school in 2013. I uh, learned how to edit videos and I'd done some Call of Duty edits. And now I was like playing basketball. And I was like, what if I just do something with basketball? So the basketball edits, video edits started. And I was like, all right, where do we put them? Throw them up on Instagram was the first it was the first thought i should i should have done youtube jacob that would have been crazy like youtubers have such a dedicated fan base but i went with instagram and yeah it was once again it was just kind of like not thinking and just going and gustav hansen who you mentioned him and his brother danny they helped me out it was like we had our little operations going early on they were liking and commenting on engagement groups in 2013 like hashtag ball is live hashtag basketball forever following and unfollowing people and like it was once again it was just like hit a thousand followers pretty quickly and it was like we we're so pumped yeah it was i don't know if that answers your question or not but um yeah it was just out of pure wanting to get exposure for videos that have i think art it was wanting to get exposure for art that's been created so you said you were pretty stoked when you hit the 1000 follower mark and like how fast did that account grow think we had we got a thousand followers after a month i think we had ten thousand followers after three months if i'm not mistaken uh and then by like next year we had a hundred thousand followers so it was roughly a hundred thousand followers first year uh and then from there on i, I don't even remember it just kind of went exponentially and then yeah. And then it plateaued in 2016 when I started working for Gary, but that's another story. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. like, as it's having this crazy growth while you're still in high school, like I know your mom worked in advertising, like, was there ever any conversations about how you can start monetizing it or use it as an advertising platform or anything like that back in the day? Or was it just more so just like something you did for fun? Just for fun, mainly for fun. I kind of figured out how to monetize it by myself. You know, um, when Back then, it was very early. The people that used um, Instagram and social media for monetization were like apps and um, affiliate marketing. So it's not the best space. I don't love those spaces. Um, 
the apps that would use it would kind of you drive downloads and make money and the affiliate marketing is you drive emails or purchases and you'd make money so those those were the first types of ways to make money and yeah i never really had conversations with my parents on how to monetize it it was more conversations like my dad in 2014 said we got to get in you got to break the chinese market and <laughs> i still haven't figured that out but I'll tell you one thing, we would have probably had 10 times the followers because, I mean, China is just obsessed with basketball and and the population is just, I don't think anyone from the U.S. other than the NBA has really figured out that market, like, not even the overtimes of the world. I think that's, like, that's in, like, that's the next, that's next level. Like, social media, like, Weibo, like, WeChat, if you figure that shit out, you're, maybe that's Doug's next step, figure out the Chinese market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of opportunity there right now, to your point, they're obsessed with basketball. So it'd be the next, the next natural progression, I think. But like, why do you think people are having such a tough time figuring it out? Because it's a completely different culture language. And I don't even know how to use Weibo as a platform. Like I, I, I just think we're so foreign and so, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? I don't know. I think I think the language barrier is one, and probably the different nuances of social platform and consumptions of the social platforms. But funny enough, I was listening to an interview this morning with the founder of Musically from 2016, and he was talking about how Chinese culture mm-hmm. is heavily influenced by American culture. So I don't think, from a culture standpoint, that's the challenge because I think there's just so much influence from the states, especially in basketball, with NBA being the prominent, the, the number one league in the world for basketball, like that influence is there. I think it's more so like the nuances of how they use social. That's probably where the difference lies in terms from the United States to China. Yeah, I agree. India is also an extremely interesting market, which is emerging as well as Africa. I don't actually, I don't know enough about it, so I can't speak about it. But yeah, the Chinese market, if someone figures that out, it's game over. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a little bit earlier how in 2016 is it when Dunk kind of plateaued for a little while because you were working for Gary. And for people that don't know, I think the story of how you ended up working for Gary is super interesting. So you ended up working for him like straight out of high school, right? Like was your intention in high school to try and get a job and get over to the United States as fast as possible? Or was that just kind of like a serendipitous thing that happened but wasn't necessarily your intention? When I started high school? Like more so, like, yeah, like even mid high school when you started high school, what did you think your plan was once you graduated? Because once you graduated, you pretty much went to New York almost right away as soon as you graduated high school. So, like, when you started, what was your plan post high school? Did it end up working out the way you thought it would? When I was in high school, I didn't really have a plan. I think that's kind of been my biggest issue, not issue, but maybe my biggest fault because. Some of the greatest people always have this grandiose plan, right? They always have this, I'm going to, you know, go to the moon or I'm going to buy a team, whatever it is. I've never really had a plan. So when I was in high school, I was just kind of free roaming. And I was like, after high school, I'll take a year, figure it out. That's kind of what you do in Sweden. So getting the job in New York, it was just kind of a relief. For me, it was like, oh, now I know what to do. So that kind of eliminated a lot of fear of just taking the plunge and just going. I think a lot of people ask me, were you ever nervous? And I'm like, no, 
really, I didn't know what to do. So it, it kind of gave, gave a little bit of a, a cushion to figure out what you wanted to do with life. But um, yeah, straight out of high school, moved to New York. I mean, I think um, it gave me like a, a new beginning, like a way to reinvent myself in a way. But uh, I also think it, it, it puts it puts a lot of stress on someone who's 18. Like you go there and you start working. And it's, it's, it's not a natural progression, but uh, I'm incredibly blessed for the times that I've had. I don't know. I think people have to be kids too. And it's just like a balance of not, I don't know, it's like a balance of, of being grateful, analyzing your path, as well as um, like focusing on the positive, right? Like I want to say that I should have taken a year and been a kid and had more fun. And I can still do that now, but it's like, I don't know, I'm incredibly happy with everything that's happened. It kind of made me found, find God in a way. So I don't know, I'm, uh, my, my answer to you is I didn't have a plan for high school, after high school. And it came as a shock to move to New York City to work for Gary. But it was a great part of maturing, both spiritually and finding ways to work around the ego because the ego really like came up when you when you were there it's like it comes it comes in ways and forms that you don't really realize it does and yeah it was it was a good time though Mm -hmm. i think what's interesting though looking back is the fact that it almost like it almost didn't happen right because when you reached out to gary initially you also reached out to gerard adams and gerard's the one who actually got back to you first and he connected you to a friend of mine in past guestless podcast uh digital jeff it's like yeah how did you go like how close were you to getting it taking the job with gerard before ultimately ending up working for vayner media i i might have been closer to working with gerard versus working with Vayner. I, I I was on several email threads with him, just like working with him and Jeff and giving them crazy feedback on their blogs. And once again, I don't want to juice myself up, but I was like sitting there and I'd write an email. And I, was, I don't write email. You saw the email I sent you before this call. It was just like all headlines. You're like, who's this email on me? It was like this composed email was bent with like 50, 50 um, timestamps. And I, I was really close to working with Gerard. I, I don't know what made me not work. I, I love him. He's, he's a dear friend. And, 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 and I always speak well of him. But for some reason, I worked for Gary. And it led me to where I was, where I am now. And when you started with Gary, you, you were a video editor. And ultimately, like I said, you ended up as the head of strategy and growth for his social media. What did you do during your time as a video editor that kind of allowed you to stand out to ultimately become head of strategy and growth? I think um, I was always kind of doing growth, but for video editing, the biggest thing was probably optimizing all the videos and like how, wait, how do we actually make this work on social? We don't just want it to be emotional. Like we need it obviously to speak the message that we want, but you need to make sure that people actually see it and consume it. So. There was one time I wanted to make a video into an ad and I was like, what if we make this video into a meme? And they'd never made Gary's videos into memes. And for anyone who doesn't know what a meme is, catch on to the times. It's 2020. You should know what a meme is. But it's it's the white background and the black text on top with a Helvetica new font. Um, And it just, it's basically what everyone is most used to on Instagram. Like, you're used to consuming it. It gives you some form of 
uh, not relatability, but comfort when you see it because it doesn't see stand out as much. It's like, oh, this is this is general. So there's a video on top of a white picture with black text on top. I think everyone can envision that in their head. Um, so I was like, what if we make one of these videos into a meme? And it was like, if you're a college kid, uh, watch this video. And and Rock pushed me and said, yo, okay, well, what if we actually post it on a page? And I was like, no. And this is where you have to believe in yourself. And this is where confidence comes in. And you have to believe in your ideas because they come to you for a reason. And I was like, no, that won't work. That'll clutter the page, yada, yada, yada. And then we posted it. and. I think it just did really well. And then we kept post, posting memes. And I think now all they post is memes. So that was probably one of the one of the times where I went from video editing to social social growth. It was a natural progression because that's what I did with Dunk was kind of like grow the account. But um, for the first months, yeah, it was mainly video editing. And then it was like, nah, let's, let's, let's do the social growth instead. And one thing I've learned that you're big on in terms of social growth is strategic collaborations. Can you kind of explain how to properly do a strategic collaboration? Well, it depends on who you are. If you're an individual and you want to grow on another platform, you so this is an, so all right. A lot of YouTubers are not big on Instagram for some reason. I don't know why, but a lot of big streamers aren't big on any other social platforms because their Twitch fan base or YouTube fan base stay on the on the on the platform. So let's say you're someone who wants to who wants to become a big Twitch streamer and you have a large fan base. Let's take down let's say we want to start our Twitch. A strategic collaboration would be to reach out to one of the larger Twitch streamers and let them know, hey, we can help you out on Instagram. We can help expand your reach. We can repost your and use our media platform to give you exposure and followers and growth on a platform where you're not big in exchange for doing one live stream a week with us and helping us grow on Twitch. That, that would be an example of a, of a collaboration that's strategic cross-platform. Um, if you're a basketball media company like Sports Illustrated, um, a strategic the collaboration would be to reach out to Dunk and say, hey, Dunk, um, we'll do a, a cover story on you. In exchange, we'll do a cover story. We'll highlight how um, an independent media company now has become a competitor to big media companies. I don't know, something like that. In exchange of you sharing um, five of our posts per week for two months and you highlight our original our new original series that we have that features Ron Artest and Gilbert Arenas. Let's say that that's the new original series that they have and they want to get exposure for it. Go to pages that have the audience that they want and offer them something that you can offer. It can be money or it can be, like you said, if you want it to be a collaboration exchange, it can be a service that they have. So that's kind of like if you're a company that want to get exposure if you're just a kid or a page that wants to grow, and this is the easiest, it's called a shout out for shout out. Find um, a page. Let's say you have a page that's got thousand followers, five thousand followers. Find a page that's similar to yours. Tell the other person, hey, um, uh, who? Let's say you have a comedy page. Find another comedy page. Um, hey, comedy page two. 
do you want to share one of my posts and I'll share one of your posts? And they'll say, yep. And then you both share your posts and you cross pollinate your audiences. That's probably the most shallow form, but at the most basic um, level, that's how you can grow accounts very easily. And then it's just figuring out and bartering and um, just making sure it's, it's, it's worth it for everyone. You can do it forever, even personal pages like um, if, if you're an influencer with 100K plus, find another influencer whose work you really like, either collaborate with them or just be like, hey, I'll shut you out of my story if you shout me out. Um, yeah, that's that's what I would say strategic collaborations would look like. And it was a strategic collaboration was how you really met Buster for the first time, right? I met Buster through when I worked at VaynerMedia, actually. He had a question. Um, on the Ask Gary V show. So he had submitted a question and for some reason we started talking and I, I don't know, we we just started helping each other out. I think he tried to help our our Facebook, I tried to help his Instagram and then we kept we kept in touch and yeah, he's become one of my closest friends ever since. Mm -hmm. I'm curious too, during your time at Vayner, was age ever an issue for you? Like the people ever question you because of how young you were being 18, 19 years old at that time? Or was it kind of like the results were speaking for themselves? Yeah, I think it kind of worked in my favor. <laughs> like maybe they did. I didn't notice it. Maybe I was oblivious to it. But for me, it was always kind of cool being the youngest person at the company. Um, it, it, it worked against me, I guess, at team outings and stuff. I couldn't go out. I was 18, so... There's no alcohol for me in the city. It, it was never an issue for me. I just, I, I wasn't able to go out and drink with all the other people. And I was curious if you could kind of talk to me about the culture at Vayner and specifically like the people you worked with on Team Gary V. Like that's just got to be such a close knit group of highly talented individuals. Like how did they shape and affect your career and life, I guess, for lack of a better word, at that point? I mean, they helped me grow. They helped me realize when I was wrong. They tried to help me realize. Um, I don't know. It, I think the biggest thing is just like it became a support system, and it's a very like it's an open. It's like a it's like a family situation, like Italian style. You take care of each other, and, and you're there for each other, and you help out, and you still and I still keep in touch, and it's like they're some of my closest friends. I've had some of my best moments with them, and in my young adulthood so they shaped my life by being by being friends and really being there and like creating a real connection and it's hard when you're young because <clears throat> you think you know everything and at times you do but most of the time you don't and when you're around like i, I was 18 they're older they were 25 plus and that's that's a big difference like 18 to 22 if I spoke to my 18-year-old self, I'd probably be disgusted of how ignorant and how <laughs> and how um, innocent and and just kind of. I actually, I guess, I could talk to my 18-year-olds or listen to my 18-year-old self. I've done podcasts, but it's like you grow a lot, and when you speak to people who are over 25, it's they have a a, a different perspective on life, and it, it really helps you center and ground yourself. Um, yeah, I don't know. They've been they've been close family ever since. I, I don't really know how to express it. I, I love them with all my heart. And I still think I'm right. I might not be, but I still think I'm right all the time. I think I'm right more often now, but um, they've definitely helped 
helped help change my mindset and, and and work ethic is like something that you learn from them is like 100 percent. i was gonna ask you in terms of like life advice and everything in 2016 you would you tweeted hashtag vayner thanks to ajb for giving me life hacks and advice do you remember what he told you before you made that tweet yeah a couple of things he AJ was very kind to kind of mentor me early on. He'd take time and I'd just sit down and ask him sometimes forced questions, sometimes just things that came up. One of the best things that he told me, which I still haven't implemented, but it was one of the things AJ told me was make uh, make vacations. Before you get married, you need to have vacations and things to do every year with your with your friends because those will last for life. And I don't even think it was before you get married, just like have one or two weeks every year where you do something with your friends. And no matter what you do it, whether it's a golf trip or whether it's um, a Zoom call, I don't know. It's like a tradition every year where you get a week for yourself with your friends is incredibly important um, to, to maintain relationships, with, to maintain contact with people when you grow old. That's one of the things. Another thing he told me to do, which I'd never really implemented, but if anyone here is young and doing it, and it's in the same position that I was, which was you're not in college and you're kind of surrounded by older people and you want to have fun, was go on Tinder and just hit up people in, <laughs> in college areas and be like, yo, I uh, want to hang out and then befriend them and become friendly and then like kind of get into college that way by just like hanging in those circles. I never really did it, but it's great practical advice. So go on Tinder, find a girl or a guy, whoever you are, uh, and become friends with them if you like them, obviously, and then become friends with their friend group. And then basically you're in college and you can go to all the parties even though you're not in college. Um, yeah, that was another one. I mean, it's just endless, but, but those are the two that stand out to me. What's your relationship like with Gary? Uh, we text it probably... Uh, Every month, we used to talk more often. Uh, it's weird because he's like a very not intimidating, but it's like you gotta be, you gotta be alert, and you gotta be be active when you talk to him. It's what you feel like because, I mean, time is valuable for, for someone like that more than anything. Um, my relationship with him is good, but uh, I I don't think I use him. Not use him. That's a weird word we use, but I don't think I tap him enough for advice and and life lessons because I'm afraid of wasting time from him when in reality, I think it would help both of us more because that kind of becomes like, a, I don't know, what comes around goes around. And also it's, I, I just think when you help good people and I'm, I'm calling myself a good person. <laughs> I just think when you help good people, it, um, it comes back to you and, and you shouldn't be afraid of asking for advice. But you also, once again, have to be strategic. Like, you don't want to be the person that hits hit someone up. But also, this, like, this is how life is quite... Also, don't be afraid and don't say no for the other person, right? Like, ask someone for advice every day. You might get annoying, but maybe one day you ask for some form of advice that gives them an idea that, that helps them tremendously. So it's like, life is such a paradox. And I don't know what to do half the time. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, we talk. We we're in good terms, um, but not as often as I think either of us would like to. And I was curious to kind of going back to the comment you made where you said dunk plateaued in 2016. 
was that hard for you to kind of almost not put dunk on pause, but not focus all of your energy there when you were focusing on growing Gary's social? And you did some stuff with PeerWow as well. And on top of that, while you're working at Vayner, you started doing social management and strategy for an artist named Bazanji. Like, how hard was it for you to kind of put your own stuff on the back burner while focusing on other people's? It wasn't hard because I was still in love with the opportunity, but I wish that I, uh, you have to put yourself first always. You have to put your own. I was feeling good. I mean, I was doing, like I said, doing a lot of shit, maybe too much. But if I could give myself one advice, be yeah, put yourself on uh, first always. And like, if you're not doing it, make sure you got someone doing it because you don't want to do everything by yourself. <laughs> like, if you're not running, don't get someone to do it for you and, and let go and delegate and be okay with it not being perfect. That's one of my biggest weaknesses. Is, is, is not delegating enough the second one i would say is like choose one thing and if you do that one thing very good get a lawyer to help you out that's like that's the one thing i would because you always need a lawyer like if you're young and an entrepreneur get a lawyer in an account that's that's something you really really need to not only to maintain success but like i guess not even a lawyer but get someone who's good at what you're not good at and for me, that's law and accounting. And I know with Dunk too, you you raised money for it at eighteen, right? Like, did you end up taking on investors for Dunk? No, no, I never did. I, I had I had a commitment from 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 a former NBA player, and that once again, I was just kind of me trying to figure out this whole whirlwind and putting together documents by myself, um, putting together pitch decks, and 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 like business plans and it's like you take on so much by yourself <laughs> like looking back at it it was like sleeping six hours a night five hours a night it's just it was fun and you're kind of caught up in this in this in this lifestyle where you just work 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 try 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 and you get a lot of shit done and looking back at it, it's fun but i think now more than ever it's like set out a goal and just chip at it day by day calmly don't just drink coffee and and stress 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 i think i got too caught up in the new york lifestyle um like all these things i think what you have to do is just like breathe and trust in the signs that the universe gives you and kind of act on those signs one by one and then like things unfold for you much more beautifully than you trying to unfold life because that'll be that's just always a losing formula like you trying to force life it's like let let it unfold for you and just yeah take it day by day moment by moment kind of thing is 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 what i and i say this and give this advice and i'm still not perfect but um it it's when my life is the most beautiful and magical is when you take it moment by moment and just trust and let go. And I think going back to the, I think a lot, Jacob, I think that's the problem. Maybe you should just do it. Think less. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the overarching goal that you can, like, that's why, okay. You go to Mars, then you let go, but you let all your actions, all your actions map towards that goal. And you can let go, but you know that the actions are going towards the goal. I think that's that's beautiful as well, um, and, and, and something to for people to work on an overarching goal. 
maybe I can figure it out. Let's call it. Let's see. My follow-up question is going to be, what is the overall, like the goal with dunk? But if we'll come back to that later with, when it comes to dunk, like what is almost maybe not the goal, but the strategy behind it right now? Like what is, how do you look at the various platforms? I know Instagram, like you said, was kind of your prominent platform for the longest time, but TikTok's already surpassed it in terms of total number of followers. Like where are you putting your efforts right now? TikTok and Instagram are the number, the first, second. But now that you, we spoke, Weibo, I'm going to try and figure out Weibo this, this month. And YouTube and website are the things finally that's happening. I was putting together a YouTube and a website. Uh, that's yeah. The way I view the platforms is TikTok is a madhouse right now. You're just capitalizing up to as much as possible because the growth is insane. The engagement is crazy. The people actually cross pollinate. The age is super young, so they'll probably be with you as fans for like ten to fifteen years, if not longer. Uh, and they'll grow into young adults, and if you can be um, a platform that they recognize with and identify with at such a young age and then grow up with. And if you can actually be a positive influence on them, and this is the next step is how do you actually become a positive influence? We use our Instagram a lot to speak up on the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's going on. But for TikTok, um, it, it's hard because it, not that people are dumber there, but you need to be more simple and more straight to the point. Actually, that's not true. We have to put more effort into using our TikTok as a as a positive influence. But back to what I was saying, if you can have these kids grow up like 10 to 15 years and your channel is one of the ones that they not only look up to and idolize, but actually tell their friends to follow and actually tell their friends about, it's just, I don't know, I, now that I say it, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of, um, what is it called in English? There's a lot of um, weight on our hands. There's a lot of, what is, what's the correct expression for it? Right, like pressure. I don't know if it's pressure or weight on your shoulders or um, responsibility. We have an, yeah, we have an immense response. Now that I say it, we have an immense responsibility to actually help these kids out because they're going to be with us for 10 to 15 years. And if they're not with us, they're going to be with some other media. And it's like, how do you actually become a positive influence on them? That's, that's something that's it's actually pretty serious now that I think about it. It's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> what have I started? <laughs> but like, so you mentioned with the dunk social media channels, both Instagram, TikTok, you've been using it recently to kind of educate people and amplify messages of black lives matter. And one other adventure of yours is the hoop bus. And I saw recently you're using the hoop bus to kind of rally the community and be involved in the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was curious if you kind of, this might be a bit of a long answer, but could you kind of tell people what the hoop bus is, what the original intent behind it was, and how that's kind of evolved since you became involved with the hoop bus in the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, so the hoop bus is a, is a project, it's a nonprofit that I started with Nick and from Venezuela. We, uh, we bought a school bus and put a basketball hoop on the front and the back. And we've traveled the country. And what we try to do is, is spread joy and love in communities, whether it be through basketball or through educating them on 
on meditation and breath work and, and, and kind of, or whether it be going to Skid Row and giving out uh, sandwiches. It's kind of every day in each mission for the Hoop Bus is different. And what we try to do is kind of not stay culturally relevant, but stay culturally, what are the causes right now that are needed for the communities? And like I said, it's, we've given out um, food to the homeless on Skid Row. We made PB&Js. But what we always try to do is incorporate basketball. It's called the Hoop Bus. We have a basketball hoop on the front and the back. It's a nonprofit, but we actually have fun. So we we take this bus around not only LA, but now the country. And by staying culturally relevant, we what are the causes right now that we actually believe in that, that affect us? What are the causes that affect me, Nick, and the basketball community that we can amplify through our bus and through our social media with Doug? Um, the first thing we did was take it to Skid Row and give away sandwiches to the homeless people. That was one, that's one of the things that we do with the hoopas. But what we also do is we actually play basketball with them. I will play basketball for two hours down there. We'll have a great time. And it, 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 it integrates basketball, which is an integral part, a part of, of mainstream culture. The second thing with the Kobe Pass, like I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, it, it, it took on the hoop bus took on a whole different meaning because we kind of dedicated the bus to Kobe Bryant, Gigi Bryant, and all the other passengers that passed away in the accident on the helicopter accident. So then the hoop bus became a vehicle of how do we honor Kobe, Gigi, and all the other people that died. And we took that bus from LA to Chicago for for NBA All Star and back and spread love through the way gave away sneakers, and once again, tried to impact communities on the ground. COVID hit. We were like, all right, what are we going to do now? We can't take this bus around. No one wants to No one wants to be out in the streets shooting. Corona, a couple months passed, and then Black Lives Matter movement happens. The first thing is like, okay, people are out marching, people are out protesting. This is, once again, one of the moments, a pivotal moment, not only in history, but something that we deeply care about. And this is the first time I've deeply become, uh, me personally, become uh, edu- not only educated, but pa- not even passionate, but care truly about the subject and stand up truly about something that I know deep down is wrong. So when George Floyd passed, it became something that we we're like, okay, this is the next thing. Nick and Nate told me, yo, let's start using the hoop bus. And we started ideating over the phone. How do we use the hoop bus to further the Black Lives Matter movement? And how do we use this vehicle that this magical idea that have has gone, this magical concept has gone from idea to reality? How do we actually use this for the Black Lives Matter movement? And what we came up with was do the Black Lives Matter fist on the top of the bus, repaint the backboards, say Black Lives Matter, and join the protests, join the marches. Unfortunately, I'm in Sweden, so maybe we get a comment from Nick and Nate on this, but the response that it's gotten has been tremendous and amazing. And that's that's what the hoop bus is. It's a very long and convoluted answer, and I, I hope I answered it, but yeah. No, that's awesome. Was that good? No, that was okay. really good. Yeah, it was great, man. But you mentioned with the Hoop Bus, the Hoop Bus is a nonprofit, which makes a lot of sense with the work you're doing with it. So I'm curious, I don't want to get into numbers or specifics or anything, but 
how do how do what is like how do you make money then like how do you use dunk your personal brand you're just your marketing and social media savvy and abilities like what is kind of like again not numbers or specifics but just kind of like revenue streams like what's that breakdown look like for you right now um for for the hoop bus it's it's purely donations so if anyone listens to this we need money for the hoop bus we haven't made a dime we uh we have purely crowdfunded we haven't gotten uh, any big sponsors yet so it's just we're looking for sponsors for the hoop bus for dunk it's uh, basically the old advertiser model it's uh, people want exposure for their products on our pages uh people want exposure for their songs on our pages and we sit on the audience and we sit on their creative ability and uh, understanding the platform so we know what will work and what won't work so we uh we offer that to serve to the companies record labels uh and brands and then I do consulting on the side every now and then personally, but those are the mainstreams. The hope is that um, YouTube becomes a main revenue source as well as um, own own product um, as well. But those are the main ones for now. You mentioned kind of with your revenue streams, one of them being consulting on occasion from time to time. And I know you've done many interviews on Dennis Rodman and what you guys did to grow his social media with the blank comments and everything like that, that kind of reimmerse him into culture, into social media culture. But I'm curious more so, what did Dennis Rodman, the guy, teach you when you had the chance to work with him? That if you are just yourself, things and the world will come to you. If you're just yourself, shit will work out no matter. Uh, you can't you can't plan for the universe to help you out. It's kind of like he would con- he was constantly some people have that magic pull and like i think it's not self-belief but shit would just work out for him and i don't know why but i think it's because he just he just trusted and didn't put too much emphasis on things like he didn't take things too seriously and just he was just him and i mean he lived a crazy life he taught he taught he taught a lot of things nothing really concrete that Actually, one thing that he taught me is looks are deceiving and um, public persona is also deceiving. He's an incredibly wise guy. And, and a lot of people, I'll tell people he's one of the smartest people or the most intelligent people I know because he has, he has life figured out. He hasn't, he doesn't have everything figured out. He's not, I don't know if he's good at math or not. I don't know if he's good at biology or not. I don't know if he's good at, what was it called? Um, geography or not i know he's good at life i know he understands life probably better than anyone i know and that means he just understands how to navigate it and maybe he didn't make the most money maybe he didn't wasn't the best father maybe he was the best father i i don't know you have to ask other people about that but i do know that he has answers to things that not a lot of people do and he has the answer which most famous people come to the conclusion of which is love and i don't think i understand love yet but i know he had the answer to that and that's a beautiful thing and most people don't think that about him they think he's a degenerate and he drinks and he's crazy and that's public persona and that's kind of how he's built and i think that maybe that's his ego but deep down he understand something that a lot of people don't and a long answer is looks are deceiving and uh, people can teach you things that 
I don't even know if that's a lesson, but he, he yeah, he's a great guy. I, I always give him that because, yeah. Actually, another thing that he taught me is, is you can live unconventionally. Like, he, he uses two flip phones, and he's a very mysterious dude. Like, that's just fucking badass. Like, I kind of aspire to be that way. It's just like, don't become dependent on social media. Don't become dependent on, like, skills and people like you become dependent on being yourself and shit will work out i think that's why things work out for him because he's himself he doesn't need an iphone shit will work out because he just does him like he just does his thing and and, and has to put phones and you reach him when you're supposed to reach him it's hard to reach him because he has to put phones but you like things will just happen in order and i think us as humans like we try to force things too much with this ultra connectivity that we have we can reach anyone at any time and if we can't get on facetime at any time of the day we're kind of pissed off at the other person not pissed off but we're, kind of, we're expecting to be able to reach anyone ever um and i think he's a breath of fresh air by being completely not that and still one of the most um he was one of the most famous people in the world without that thing. And he still, he still holds true to that. So I, I, that's another thing that I learned from him. Get a flip phone. <laughs> so I'm curious after kind of spending time with Dennis and learning things like that, where, and seeing how he has life figured out, but at the same time, like you said, his public perception, his personal brand isn't probably what most people would want their personal brand to be, right? People think he's reckless and all those things. So knowing that, especially after spending time with Dennis, how much, how much importance do you place on crafting your personal brand? Is it after, even after spending time with Dennis, even just beyond that, is it now, it doesn't matter how people perceive my personal brand or is it now after seeing how interesting and smart of a guy Dennis is, but seeing how poor his personal brand is, you want to make sure yours is better. Like how, how do you view personal branding and your public perception now? I used to put emphasis. I think the biggest thing that you can do once you've built a personal brand is every project you work on is to get a volume of content out and own that project. Meaning, don't overthink your personal brand. Understand what you want to say. Understand what message you want to convey and what energy you want to get across. But don't overthink it and post frequently or make sure that every post that you have has an immense reaction. And that's incredibly hard, but an immense reaction. I would call that the Playboy Cardi effect. Like, Every post and everything that he played with Cardi, Lil Uzi Vert, that's kind of like one step above personal brand. That's like public persona, but choose one of the two. I think the easiest one is understand what energy we want to get across and own your project fully. What does that mean? When you start something like a hoop bus or if you start a new agency, whatever it is, go fully into it and fully let people know not only on your stories but on your main feed and make sure the content that you create is um, appealing in your eyes but also just like owns the project that's how i'm going to try and start because that's once again i look back reflect that's one of the biggest mistakes that i when i look and analyze my own pages i don't own it fully and you 
if you don't, if you do, things flow easier. People see it more. Um, yeah, shit happens for you. What I'm curious, so in terms of personal brand and stuff, I wanted to ask you about your speaking career, but I kind of want to take it in a different direction, but I know your speaking career is, you're kind of like your tagline in terms of your speaking career is how to actually grow on social media and create content that people want to see. But I have a quote written down here from you and it's a response to a question. And the question was, do you have any advice for people who want to do what you do on social media and grow a massive following? And your response was, don't do it. Why was that <laughs> your response? What was the follow-up? Uh, you said, don't, I, I do have the rest of here. Yeah, don't do it. If you do, share your truth and be smart and, with how you collaborate. But why was the beginning of that response, don't do it? I think uh, I pray. The thing was like, don't do it because I think their answer was don't do it because if I say that, it filters out the people that really don't want to do it. You see what I'm saying? If you say don't do it, the people that are like, oh, okay, I won't do it. And then it kind of cuts through the bullshit and the people that still want to do it will believe in it. I think that was, that was, I was trying to be snarky. I guess I was just trying to be funny or something. <laughs> so I have a follow-up. I have another quote. I'm big on quotes with this podcast. Yeah. Squeeze a couple of them in here. And this was you talking about social media. I, this quote, I believe this is when you were 19. So this is probably three years ago. So this could have changed by now. I just, I get pretty in depth with my research and I find old interviews and articles and stuff. But the quote was, I actually hate doing this sometimes. It sounds like I think I have it all figured out. That's incorrect. I'm not teen or I'm, that's incorrect. I'm 19. I'm not a life coach, just a kid. And now my, my yeah. question to that is, is social media your passion or is it just something you found that you were really good at and could have success with? I think I just was really good at it. It's not my true passion. I've been, this is like a gift and a curse. Like you're blessed being one of the best in the world at it. I'm going to keep saying that I am, but it's not my ultimate passion. It's a tool to showcase. A, it's a tool to showcase something. And it used to be video editing, and I kind of lost editing. So the last couple of years have been a limbo of being the best at something, but you're not doing it for your full passion. So that's the whole thing. And I don't even know if you can figure your passion out. I think it's just kind of, it falls into your lap and you try different things. But to answer your question, I just think I'm really fucking good at it. And it pays the bills. And it's, I'll tell you one thing, it's better than working it's actually not better working at anywhere else because I thought it was better than working in like construction, but I recently started doing like some small construction shit and that stuff's fun and it's easy to be present when you're doing simple things. And when you're on your phone, there's a lot of distractions. Apple, Facebook, Instagram, these motherfuckers, they know how to keep your attention and to keep you um, dialed in for as long as possible. That's how they make their money. Their money is made off of keeping our attention. And I don't know any other medium that, that's been their attention other than TV, newspaper maybe, radio maybe, theater maybe. But that was always in limited times. There was always an end. With your phone, there's no end. So it's like this cycle. How can we keep these people's attentions until they die? If you if you listen to it, that's kind of what these 
tech and social media companies are doing. So you being present is like at the back of their minds because they're trying to make money. And I don't think they make money by keeping you present. They make money by thinking you below thinking and keeping you in and on the platform so they can serve ads to you. So it's not in their vested interest in keeping you present. They can, obviously, there's good things to social media. They can increase voter registration. Tristan Harris, anyone listening to this, listen to Tristan Harris' podcast for Undivided Attention. It's great. You should listen to it too. They kind of talk about this, but they can, social media can be great as well. But this is what I'm saying is that doing everyday life things is easier when you're by yourself, nailing, like literally, like tearing down a wall making music, whatever it is, it's easier to stay present than when you're on your phone. And that's just a fact. I don't care what you say. That's my research, which is super biased, but I'm stick by it. It's a job that's convenient. I don't know if it's the best, and I don't know if it'll lead to um, the most presence in life, which is why I'm reconsidering and why I'm at least aware of it and i'm aware that it's a tool for your purpose i don't think social media should be a purpose that's interesting that that's my answer to your question Mm -hmm. and one thing that i think people have definitely picked up people have picked up on through this podcast is you're very much into personal development and personal growth you've spoken on universe mindset being present and I wanted to ask you about one of your favorite things to do in New York City, and that's the bathhouse in New York. Can you kind of talk to me about that experience and how, in terms of being present, how that helps you be present as well? I mean, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. That's the best thing you can do. I think it might be the best thing you can do in life. It's like you can't get above that. The bathhouse, basically what it is, it's an experience. Um, there's Russian bathhouse, there's Turkish bathhouse, there's different times, but essentially it's a bunch of saunas. It's a cold plunge, hopefully, and there's showers. So you go in, there's usually a restaurant, you can have some food, you can have a beer, kind of relax with your friends. Then you go down to the sauna, you work your way up. You start with a steam room, then you maybe go to uh, an infrared sauna, then you go to a hotter sauna, you work your body temperature up, and then you go down in the cold pool. Everyone has their own routine, but decide you go down the cold pool and extreme uh, temperature difference messes with your head and your body in a way that you come out of, anyone who's done a cold shower, this is a cold shower times 10. You come out of there and you literally, I've never done, I've never smoked weed, but you come out and you feel high. You feel you feel like you're on another planet. You kind of feel like your consciousness is left. You just sit and you just feel disconnected from your body. And it's just, I don't know. It's an amazing feeling. It's great for your, for your muscles. It's great for your mind. You have really fruitful conversations in there. Like people talk, I mean, they talk about the craziest shit. There's some conspiracy theorists in there that are talking and they claim to have secrets to NASA and everything like they claim to have cia documents 
it's just a great time. Like just imagine the craziest personalities that you could ever find that are down there. Basically every week talking shit and they scream at each other. Not scream, but like they have like conversations and arguments that are interesting to join in on. Um, there's five different saunas that you can work your way through, like and, and work your body temperature up. And then there's a cold plunge where you're basically challenging your mind and your body. Um, and when you get out of the cold plunge, you get this feeling of euphoria. And it's great for your, uh, I've said it's great for your body five times, so it must mean it's really good for your body. But yeah, it's, I love it, if you, if you couldn't notice. If, if I'm somebody who wants to become either more present or more mindful, spiritual, what would you recommend as a good place to start? Um, Eckhart Tolle is a great, great, he has a couple books, The Power of Now, A New Earth, um, Wim Hof, Breathing, great place to start meditation headspace these are all simple tools i think the easiest thing for me lately has been um, just recognizing what awareness consciousness is and it's kind of understanding you're the you're what's noticing and recognizing uh this monkey that's walking around this not monkey but this video game character that's walking around the world it's like it's just not real and when you do that and when you can tap into that um it, it it really makes life like a movie so just like look at your hands and be like you know who is this looking at my hands right uh and then now all of a sudden i feel like i'm not even talking to you now i instantly feel more present and aware um you can focus on your breath you can fall back i don't know those are those are kind of things that that work for me i should have used them more throughout our conversation but you get lost in thought and you get lost in conversation. I think that's important too, like getting lost and expressing yourself because sometimes you get too much in your own head, just like, oh, stay present, stay present, stay present. Nah, sometimes you got to talk to people. And, and I think that's why podcasts, and I applaud you for that. You're giving people, a, it's kind of therapeutic in a way. You're giving a people uh, a medium to express themselves. And I'm telling you, a lot of the things that people talk about, they probably don't get to talk about a lot in, in, in everyday life so perhaps to you jacob for, for, for kind of being people's therapists in a way thank you man it's actually like one of the one of my favorite parts of this podcast is similar to how when we talked about china where there was like that little unlock that you had there like i didn't actually do anything like it was in your brain and you just needed me to either frame a question in a certain way or the conversation had to go a certain direction for that to unlock in your mind. So I didn't really do anything, but I was just kind of there to help kind of push you a little bit further. Like that's my favorite part when people have that little unlock as a result of the podcast. It's one of the coolest feelings. You, you might have transformed the dunk business by helping us breach China. I mean, I hope so. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I saw it written down somewhere or I heard it in a podcast or something. I can't remember where I saw this, but you said when you were 50 years old, you want to become a school teacher. To some people, that might be a little bit unexpected, but why is becoming a school teacher something that you want to do down the road? I think later in life, hopefully, I'm a little bit wiser, a little bit less dumb, and know slightly more. And I think it'd be fun to share that with people who are at such a pivotal stage in their life. So. Do I still want to do that? Now that you say that, yeah. Will I forget about it? Probably. But yes, I would. I would like to share with kids who are at a pivotal stage in their life the experiences and the things that I've learned. 
to try and help them. Even though I don't, I think it's, it's, it seems like a good thing. It seems like the right thing to do. And we talked on this a little bit earlier. We kind of left it, but I want to bring it back. Maybe you've had some time to think about it throughout this conversation. Maybe it is becoming a teacher now. Um, but what are you kind of thinking of for long, long-term goals? I wrote them down in my black book. Uh, be more honest with yourself and with others. Speak, speak your mind. Don't be afraid of speaking what you know is right. Follow God more. These are all like, you know, it's personal, personal things, but it's like follow signs. Learn how to give the biggest one here. I'll give you one answer. The biggest one is, is give up and let life live for you. That's the biggest one. And what that means is just stop trying to force things and let things come to you and do the things that feel right in that moment and do the things that feel right because the universe tells you to, not because your ego tells you to. And also speak your mind and stand up for what you believe in. Those are the two things that are my long-term goals. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I like those. And I hear they're not, they're not necessarily like to build X business or to get this many followers. I like how, I like the direction in which you kind of set your long-term goals. And another thing we talked about earlier was when you celebrating, you hit a hundred followers and I actually didn't realize, but I had this date, a specific date written down. And on June 20th, 2011, you posted asking people to follow you to try and get to that hundred follower mark. So you didn't even have a hundred followers at this point, but you were close and you were asking people to follow you. <laughs> How often do you look back on everything you've accomplished and built so far from being that kid on June 20th, 2011, asking a couple people to follow him to surpass the 100 follower mark to where you are now? Not enough. Not enough. Why do you think that is? I think you shouldn't get caught up in the past, but I also think you shouldn't be too hard on yourself and you should give yourself daps. So the answer to your question is I have no clue, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Mm. I think it's okay not to have a clue. I don't think you need to have a, have a, you don't need to have an answer for everything. Yeah. But before we wrap up here, I ask everyone the same standard set of questions at the end of every episode. I used to call it a rapid fire, but I've been told that these aren't rapid fire questions. So then I started, <laughs> so then I started calling it the Q and A. But then I realized that this is a podcast, and the entire thing is essentially a Q and A. So that didn't make any sense. Uh, so I don't really have a name for this section. But the first question is: You're going to dinner, and you can take three people. It could be anybody dead or alive. Who do you take to dinner? Oof, Muhammad Ali, Eckhart Tolle, and. Uh probably a friend or a family member to enjoy it with me. What are some of the best advice you've ever been given? <laughs> yeah, get an accountant. I didn't listen, but get an accountant early. <laughs> Love that. When, when your alarm goes off in the morning, what motivates you to get up and out of bed? Half of the time, ego. Other half of the time, just getting the, just getting the day started because, you know, once you get up and out and once you start actually doing shit life is so magical it used to be some form of like a battle but now it's just like just get up and do shit and you know it'll be magical what's one thing about you people wouldn't expect um, and, um i mean i don't like social media we went over that 
I don't know. It's a hard question. But sometimes I'm sad. I mean, that's like everyone's sad. People probably knows that. That I'm, um, yeah, that I'm not perfect, I would say. It's like kind of an image that, that uh, like, I don't know, family and friends have that, but it's like I have a lot of issues. Not issues, but a lot of things that I'm battling with, and everyone does. So it's like, chill. Like, <laughs> yeah. I do my best, but I'm not perfect. That's that's what I'm saying. I appreciate you sharing that though, because it's not an easy thing to share. And I feel like it's some a good insight for people, right? That even people like yourself who are successful and one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world of what they do, that even at that point, you still can't have it all figured out. Not everything's perfect. So I, I just wanna pre- I wanna say thank you to you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you for asking. My pleasure. The second last question. What is one thing that's so important everybody needs to know? I mean, you can take this question in so many directions. You can be funny. You can self-promote. You can promote love. Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) What's something that's so important? I drink a lot of water. Um, My first reaction to your question was love. Um, Yeah. That's a good answer. So for the final question, I like to flip the script a little bit and I want you to ask a question, but it's not to me. So pretend you have this crystal ball and you can ask this crystal ball any question and you will get the 100% honest, truthful answer. What is one question you want to know the answer to? Who am I? No, I'll just get the answer I am that I am. I don't know. Uh, damn. Uh, okay. Which que- Can I ask a question to the ball? Which question should I ask? There you go. That's a good you question. I like that. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. But, yeah. and I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on this podcast. Like you just mentioned the time. I, I didn't realize it was two in the morning where you are right now. So I really appreciate you sticking on the call this long. And I want to give you the floor. Where can the people find you? Plug anything and everything you got right now. This is super fun. You're, you're such an incredible interviewer. Thank I'm not you. saying this to gas you up. You remind me of uh, Sean Evans from Hot Ones. Thank you. That's um, awesome. He's one, he's one of the best interviewers that I've ever seen. You should definitely start your own. You should pitch yourself to Complex or, or, or whatever news media outlet that you believe in that you're passionate about. You have the, you have the, you have the, I don't know, you have the personality and the research for it. Um, plug myself. Uh, hit me up on Instagram, DM, E-L-I-L-T, Elliot. One on one T. Um, let me know if you made it this far. That's pretty much it. That's all I got. Awesome, man. Well, I want to thank you once again for taking time to be on this podcast. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Whether you've listened the entire way through, you only listen to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Everyone do me a big favor. Go and follow Elliot on Instagram. Don't forget that is with one L. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below. And if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. Make sure you head to jacobkelly.ca and sign up to my brand new newsletter content caviar. If you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and at my social life podcast or YouTube by searching on my social. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon. Peace.